0: Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm Lori. And this is the Nourish Circle Podcast.
1: Join the band as we gather in our Nourish Circle and talk all things weight inclusive, haze, non diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. Julie Sweeney is a client centered, solution focused counselor who specializes in supporting women find freedom for themselves. Julie offers openness, honesty, and a willingness to be part of your journey in a way best suited to your needs. Through a health-at-every-size-based lens aimed at helping clients feel less alone in their struggles with body image, Julie offers women the opportunity to develop new skills and ways of thinking. Outside of her specialty with body image and self-esteem, she also works with clients experiencing anxiety, focusing on self-care, and changing negative coping habits. Julie works with clients one-on-one in workshops and in groups, both in person and online. Julie enjoys helping people become aware, gain insight, and move into action to create lasting change. You would be a fit for her work if you're interested in the change process and taking action toward making space for new energy in
0: your life. Today, we talk to Julie about her personal story, how she came to Health at Every Size, how she approaches this with her clients. We also talked about compassion fatigue and how to manage it. So Julie, why don't you tell us how you got to the point um, where you currently practice from?
2: Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I spent a lot of time um, dieting, to be totally honest. And when I first started doing talks way back in 2013, I um, I would say I probably dieted for 22 years and did four diets a year and that's 88 diets and that's ridiculous. Um,
0: Wow.
2: (laughs) Right? Like when you just put like, and that, I feel like that's low.
0: When you put it in that context, it sounds, yeah.
2: Right. So, and that's probably me lowballing it. But what happened was my husband was in Afghanistan for plus training and all that kind of stuff for about a year and a half. We saw each other, for a couple of months out of a year and a half, between training in Quebec and um, him being deployed and while he was gone, um, I really hit a low point in my life um, it was It was basically the hardest time i 've ever had um, raising a little one and trying to keep it together and all of that like this stuff was really weighing on me so when he got home in um november i think of 2009 i spent some time reintegrating and then in january i decided like all good dieters that Mm -hmm. i would jump back on the bandwagon and i would go and do this fitness training thing where i could lose all this weight and feel great finally and then i would be okay And so I did that for about six months, and I did lose weight, and that was fantastic. However, nothing changed mentally for me, and that really astounded me. So I thought, okay, (laughs) if this wasn't it, if it it wasn't my weight that was the issue, what was it? And I went on a bit of an exploration journey um, for the next year, sort of, I don't even remember it, to be totally honest. I remember what happened, but one day I decided that I was going to go back to school, and I went into a counseling program. And I really was trying to be um, open to what kind of counseling I would do and what type of shift I wanted to help people with. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll dabble in disordered eating and eating disorders and body image, but that's not going to be my main focus. And sometimes when you say stuff like that, you get um, the reality is it's that's not true. Um, so I kept it kind of low key for the first little bit, and then. I realized when I was doing a group pro, uh, group uh, CBT group, it was Mind Over Mood, which is a fantastic book for depression and anxiety. But yes. what I found, yeah, what I found was a lot of the, I was working with military spouses at the time during my schooling. What I found was a lot of them struggled with body image and weight and there was nothing weight neutral to offer them.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
2: Yeah, so I found one, I found a book that I used. Now I... Would not use it. But I was a baby and didn't know anything any better. So I, I started to use this workbook and develop my own program stemming from some of the concepts in that and in mind over mood and using CBT. Because for school I had to develop a program and then my supervisor, who was this amazing social worker at the MFRC in Victoria, said that I could lead it. So I could actually prove my group works, which was.
0: Super amazing.
2: Yeah, she was really, really flexible with me that way. Um, So I developed this program, and now I still run a similar program, you know, five years later, but it has been revamped. It has been um, given a haze makeover. It has been given a I've-read-20,000-books makeover. Um, (laughs) It has been stripped of fat phobia and all of that type of thing. So really it stemmed from – My own personal journey leading into um, just some observations, working with people with anxiety and depression, um, and that a huge part of it was body image and disordered eating.
0: Wow, it sounds like quite a journey. (laughs)
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) But not that unfamiliar. No. Right? Mm -hmm. Where people search for what they think will make their life better. It's just so amazing that you got to the point of this didn't make me feel better on the inside. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And quickly. Like it, yeah. did take, it took me about a year, um, that six months, and then another six months of exploration. But yeah, yeah, it wasn't long.
0: Very cool. And so now you're running that group that you were able to um, take from school?
2: Yes, it has morphed incredibly. Um, but yes, it's a similar program. It was originally called Worth Your Weight. And I, and I did run one here in Ontario. Um, <laughs> and then I developed a program called Fierce Freedom out of that and fierce freedom was really, um, more of a call to action. So worth your weight sort of became this, um, really great starter (laughs) program. Mm -hmm. The women who took it wanted more, they wanted to dig deeper. They wanted to be challenged. Some of them said they wanted to cry more. Um, so I developed fierce freedom from that. And now I'm developing another program that's actually online with, um, a friend of mine. So it's, it's just continually growing and changing with all of my learning and all of my education and um, that willingness to be open and challenge ourselves.
0: That's great. Um, I think we should put links to all of that in the show notes so that people Mm -hmm. can find that course.
2: Thank you. Yes, that'd be great. Of course.
1: Julie, can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, that's what I was just thinking of when I was hearing your story like Lori said, it sounds so familiar, Uh but I don't remember that point when like I fully kind of crossed over or like what hit me that sort of made me go from that diet mentality to hold on. This is (laughs) what I've been looking for. Is there a moment for you or resource or something that sort of, you know, got you thinking of haze and fat phobia and, and sort of, helped you other than the 20,000 books in your library. (laughs) Is there, is there something that you kind of credit to that? Oh,
2: there's a couple of different things. I think first of all, um, when I was doing my schooling, I got the opportunity to go to this eight week volunteer training course and it really had nothing to do with my education. It was just a great opportunity to learn from other people in our community. And a lot of it was stages of change related. So we started off with the stages of change and then they asked us to evaluate something in our life that we might be struggling with that we could apply that to so that we could see how we would use it with clients. And, um, I really struggled with that to begin with. And then I thought, well, I mean, I eat a lot of pizza and I eat a lot of ice cream. and I don't really know why. <laughs> so maybe I'll evaluate that. And, when I started to evaluate it, what I found was a lot of the things, especially pizza and ice cream, um, what I learned, and this seems really strange, but but what it came down to was when I was a kid, every Christmas Eve was pizza. That was our tradition, and we would order pizza, and we would give the pizza delivery person a plate of Christmas goodies, and it was family and fun and I knew I was going to open my one gift later and um so really a really sense of family and connection and the ice cream um I didn't have a great relationship with my dad we didn't have a bad relationship it just was kind of typical um but for a period in my life he was taking me every Friday night to get ice cream um at this local store and I don't know how long we did it I I don't remember but it was really again consistent and about connection And what I noticed and recognized was I needed to look at myself and think, what am I doing with pizza and ice cream that I'm not doing with people? And how can I translate that into the stages of change? And I now have a really great relationship with pizza and ice cream. Um, But that's because I found ways to not use food in place of people and connection.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: so that was the beginning of that and I think from there um I think I read uh, the health at every size book the first one with Linda Bacon
1: right yeah that was one of mine too
2: yeah yeah I think that was kind of my first foyer into this and like oh that's how this might fit onto all of this hard work I've done and you know, this sort of why I was doing this with food and, and where does this stem from. So mm-hmm. I think that would be my biggest resource and that was kind of my my biggest sort of time frame of me evaluating what I was doing and why.
0: I think, I think that's so beautiful the way you drew the connection between mm. family and and the food.
2: It's a big one. And I work with clients on that too. And it doesn't matter. I had a great childhood from all intents and purposes. Like it, it was a beautiful childhood, but I obviously had a disconnect that I was trying to fill. So regardless of, you don't have to have a traumatic history to mm-hmm. feel disconnected. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: That is such a, I mean, having worked in the spectrum of disordered eating eating disorders that, Often there's this kind of conception that you have to have something traumatic in your life in order to yeah. point the finger at and say that's why I'm so messed up. Yeah, and you know that that guilt in itself that can hang over people's head for their their parents that they thought you know did a great job and yet they mm-hmm. blame them for everything. Um, to be able to to still come out of something like that and just to say yeah I, I did have a great childhood or an okay childhood or whatever. Um, but these are the things that I didn't quite figure out once you transfer from that child to the adult, how do I do this for myself? hundred percent. I love that. That was such a great example. So on that note, in terms of working with your clients, how how do you get there with them to sort of at least get them aware of, of what is behind that weight, kind of that cascade that you had gone through personally. What's the magic that you do with your clients? Is it um, like a process that you you go through or does it look different for most of your clients? Can you give us kind of an idea of what that might look like?
2: Yeah, I'm super (laughs) client-centered. So (laughs) it looks different for everyone. Uh, Because everyone comes with their own story. And if I had some cookie cutter type system, um, I don't think I would really be able to work the best with Mm -hmm. my clients. Mm -hmm. So um, I have an intake. I call it intake and empathy. I have intake and I can empathize. So when I'm asking the questions, I'm hearing what's between the lines. I'm maybe writing notes that they're not saying, but I can see might be some questions I want to ask um and I ask different questions of every one of my clients based on the answers to their intake and based on you know why someone thinks they're in counseling might not be why they're really there. Um which I find really interesting. But I think the biggest thing is I ask every single one of my clients after session 1 to do homework that's related to stress and burnout and self-care and gratitude and I see where they struggle. And I, I, and I feed that information into sort of my empathy database and figure out where that might be stemming from. What does this look like? How does this feel to them? And what are they doing for themselves? <laughs> Usually they're not doing enough to take care of themselves. And if you're not taking care of yourself, your body doesn't believe that you love it. And if your body doesn't believe you love it, then it's going to scream at you that you're not good enough, you're not worthy. So it's this sort of cycle of building themselves up into this beautiful self-care platform that they can then let their brain know that they're taking care of it and their body. And then they start to believe that they're worthy of it. So then they want to do more self-care. So it's kind of a, um, a circle, I guess, mm-hmm. of all of that.
1: Can you talk more about, um, you know, this is a conversation you and I have had personally as well about the not doing is, just as important as the doing of your homework. Because I think, you know, working with a lot of dietitians, especially they kind of get stuck there Yeah. on how to deal with that.
2: So they might call it resistance, a resistant client. Is that what they call it with dietitians?
1: Resistance and adherence is becoming the new
0: uh, yes. buzzword.
2: Okay. I don't believe in it. <laughs> <laughs> I I believe my clients and as well as your clients would deserve complete autonomy. So at Mm. session one, when I give them the homework, I also say, if you do nothing, you still come back because doing nothing says a lot to me as well. And maybe they don't have the emotional, mental or physical support they need to do it outside of session. So to ask somebody to do something that they're not capable of, then they feel like a failure. Then they're not going to come back.
1: Mm -hmm. Right?
2: Like again, it's a circle, right? So Um, I give them full permission to do nothing. Same as when I teach yoga. If you want to come to a yoga class and lay there for an hour, I will never tell you that that's not okay because you need to decide what you need and there is no way I can give you anything that's better than what you
1: feel you need.
0: Oh, that's so perfect. I love that. (laughs) Yes. I think that's something as dieticians, Corey and I could probably... (laughs) talk to that I think we need to get better at that
2: it's hard it's hard to believe that we can't fix everybody and if they're not doing their homework how can we fix them but that's the wrong angle
0: no I think this is so beautiful I love the way you said that thank you Um, I love
1: that too and I think um and I will be quiet Lori um but (laughs) (laughs) um what comes to mind for me is that and maybe this is true in your profession julie so tell us if it is but in the profession of nutrition it's this whole thing about well i'm the the nutrition expert yeah so i'm and if you're paying me in private practice it's even worse because now you're you're paying me to be your expert
0: yeah and i should give you something for you to do and and fix it right away I think that's a lot yeah
2: yeah and you probably get just tell me what to eat and I'll do that yes Mm -hmm. right yeah so for me I had one amazing client and I've never heard this in all the years and she's just a new client in the last couple of months and she said to me when I gave her the homework I say two minutes of self-care four times a day it's eight minutes not even at the same time it's a very simple simple formula and so she came back she hadn't done anything and she said it's not enough I said no it's not but you have to start somewhere
0: Mm
2: -hmm. right? Mm, So I give them tools and I give all my clients tools and then they have to decide what to do with it. So even though they're paying us as experts, we are not in their life. We're not in their daily living. We're not in their job. We're not in their relationships. We are just one part of someone who can give them tools and we have to be focused on giving them tools that they will use. So I use the word willing because I can want to go work out at 5am because I think morning workouts are great, but I'm not willing to give up my sleep to do that. (laughs) So I can want all I want, or I can want to teach 10 yoga classes a week, but I can't do that because I'm not willing to spend that time or that body um, energy to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I really have this discussion with clients. It's right on the paperwork. You know, it's not about want, it's about willing. What are you willing to do. And I think that gives it back to them.
1: And is that something people know? Because I think, you know, even personally, you know, understanding for me what the difference between the want and the willing, sometimes I get confused of like, yeah, no, who's people talking. Don't know.
2: People don't know that. Okay, good. Even, even I sometimes, I mean, now I'm probably better at it, but sometimes I'm like, now <laughs> what is this choice based on? Right. right? Um, which probably, you know, means I don't do a lot. I say no a lot because I'm, I might want to do it, but am I really willing to, you know, say it's to go out with like a, a big event. I don't like crowds. Um, do I want to put on a full face and makeup? So I feel my best. Do I want to put on nylon? I mean, whatever it is, right? Like what mm-hmm. am I willing to do? Sometimes I'm willing to do that. And sometimes I'm not, even mm-hmm. if I want to be around people. So Again, it's, it's not like one time you decide that you're willing or want. It's every single decision we make that feels integral to us, we have to decide on that.
1: I love that. I think I that's love. so great because it's so <laughs> constant and variable and ever-changing. Yes.
2: yes.
0: And it's so perfect for my life right now. <laughs> Good. I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm just sucking all this in right now. It's very rare for me to be this quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like for a good reason I'm writing notes um so I guess since I'm writing notes about all this um let's talk a little bit about compassion fatigue Mm. um what it is and how can we deal with it when we are working in this profession because I think we can all agree that when we are working in a haze non-diet um universe um It can get pretty heavy and stressful, and we don't have that much support um, Mm -hmm. from other practitioners. So just would like to know kind of your thoughts, and what can we do with it?
2: Sure. Let me just give you a couple definitions, if that's okay, first. Um, So compassion fatigue refers to the profound emotional and physical erosion that takes place when helpers are unable to refuel and regenerate. But there's also the term burnout, which describes physical and emotional Exhaustion that workers can experience when they have low job satisfaction and feel powerless and overwhelmed at work. So they are different. Okay. Um, and then there's vicarious trauma, which of course um, can occur with helping professionals when you work with clients who've experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. And that and those are those are things that alter our fundamental beliefs about the world. So it really, it starts off with evaluating: Am I experiencing? compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, or burnout, because, you know, they're all different, but it doesn't really matter if you get it wrong, because the answer is (laughs) self-care. The 100% answer to all of that is um, self-care. And there's this really amazing quote by Dr. Sarah Gottfried, and it says, we need to replace your vicious stress cycle with a vicious cycle of self-care.
0: it's
2: good stuff right
0: love it love that so much can you
1: say that one more time because i think that's such a good quote for people
2: yeah for sure we need to replace your vicious stress cycle with a vicious cycle of self-care and that's dr sarah gottfried
0: oh that's just perfection
2: right it's profound
0: it is it it makes me sit here and go, I I need to work at that.
2: (laughs) We all do. That's the point, right? So once we're aware, then we have to get ourselves on our to-do lists. We have to put ourselves in our day timers and find things that excite us and ignite us and empower us because, you know, self-care needs to be looked at as not selfish,
1: but
0: mandatory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes self-care is kind of posted as being, you know, that bubble bath Mm -hmm. handles in, I mean, that's complete self-care as well. But sometimes I think for me, self-care is sitting in my room with the door closed. hundred percent. And, but I do feel guilty about that. So I guess, Um, talking about a little bit about how self-care can be different for everyone and how do we give ourselves permission for that? Mm -hmm. Oh,
2: yeah. So, again, with the homework um, and with any presentations I do, I talk about four quadrants. So mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual self-care all need to be attended to. Um, And when we're doing that consistently, there is no guilt because we feel better. Mm-hmm. oftentimes we feel guilt or shame you know they are different but we can feel either one because we're on the we're on the productive train if we're not being productive um it, based on society's expectations then we're not really doing enough it's kind of like you know for my generation at least um when facebook f- f- first came out you I put everything on there. Right. I wanted to look productive and fun and exciting. And then sort of as that's tapered off, I kind of realized that, wow, <clears throat> I don't really need to do that. Right. I, it yeah. still happened if I didn't take a picture of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <really. laughs>
2: right. Like, but it was so new and so exciting. Um, yeah. But yeah, self-care can look different to everyone such as, you know, um, unplugging am from technology for an hour or more editing your social media to reflect the positive things in life and the things that you want to see Um, journaling and people hate when I suggest that, but it's so reflective and a great way to look back and see what's going on. Um, Listening to music. Basically it can be pretty much anything that you enjoy that makes you feel good. And it doesn't have to cost money, Mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't have to be luxurious and it could be for some people, who are experiencing higher levels of stress and anxiety? Um, sometimes it's just did they brush their teeth once today? Yeah, you know it's okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think it's interesting because um, I find like for myself personally, I like to go outside. Like I find yeah. being outside and, and very therapeutic and for myself. Um, but I will often ask permission. Um, of my partner, who I don't ask permission for anything in my life, um, if it's okay if I go out, and he'll look at me and say, I don't understand, but yes. <laughs> um, and I, I've done this forever. And or I will. And then sometimes I feel guilty if I go out and I know that the kids are watching a movie or something because maybe I should be reading with them or doing more. Um, but then my logical brain kicks in and tells me that being outside is the best thing for me right now and going yeah. for a walk. Um, but it's still that, like, I, it, I still haven't broke through that. And I, I just find it interesting. Um, I think I might need to do your little goals. Yeah.
2: I, and consistency yeah. It only comes with consistency and challenging our need to seek permission and challenging our guilt. Right. So we have to challenge those ideas because where are they coming from? Why are they here? You know, did we see somebody growing up that did that or never took care of themselves? I remember when I first learned the term self-care, I was 25 and I was in therapy and she explained it to me and I called my mom and I said, mom, why didn't you ever teach me about self-care? And she said, said, what's that? And I said, I got it. All right. Right. She was mid mid fifties and didn't know what it was. So of course she couldn't teach it to me.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. right so again we do what we learn we can relearn and we can learn new things but until we know we need to
0: no it's so true I grew up with a stay-at-home mom so Mm -hmm. I she didn't leave the home to go to work every day and I probably that's what I grew up seeing and probably do harbor some well I know I do harbor some (laughs) guilt
1: yep
0: don't probably I do I can (laughs) yeah um Mind you, when I'm at work, I'm super happy and love it. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's a very conflicting two worlds. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Often yes. it is, and that just means you're growing.
0: Awesome. Thank you. You're
1: welcome. That was one of my questions I had for you to kind of flow in what Laurie was saying about this conflicting side that people get stuck in, whether it's a caregiver, a health professional, a whoever, a parent, a a partner about you know on one hand it's taking care of yourself but on the other hand you've got like all these responsibilities and feeling like you're doing too much on one side but how do you give without everything falling on top of you so that you don't have your boss yelling at you like oh you're taking a lunch break again like yeah legally i'm allowed to have a lunch break <laughs> you know there's this this fear of of speaking out and saying and being affirmative like no this is what I need
2: I th- <laughs> this is hard because again everybody's job is different everybody's life is different yes <clears throat> but when we start to do two minutes four times a day mental emotional spiritual physical we start to be able to understand that we're worth those conversations hmm so it's, it's kind of a chicken and an egg, right? Like, I just want to be assertive and I want to get what I need. <clears throat> but how do I do that? Yes. You take care of yourself. You say no. You only say yes to things that, you know, inspire you. If you're at your job, that might not be as easy. So how do you um, say yes when you want to say no and still be okay with yourself?
1: right? So, yes. I think this is where I, I really love mindfulness uh-huh. because it's just, it's not that you're becoming a, like you said, a selfish person or a horrible person or a neglected person. You're just, just stopping and thinking like, okay, where does this fit into my self-care? Does it, if it doesn't, where does this fit into my, my job description that I have to yeah. do this? And if it doesn't, okay, what can I do? So it's just kind of giving folks that stopping point, it sounds like. To mm-hmm. say, where does this fit in?
2: Yes. And, you know, part of mindfulness or DBT therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, is called radical acceptance. Mm. Sometimes there is literally nothing you can do but decide to accept that this is the situation. Ah, uh, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And if it's not abusive to you in any mental, emotional, spiritual, or physical way, then sometimes we do have to just radically accept something.
1: Oh my gosh. That reminds me of like breastfeeding at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Covered in puke from the baby. <laughs> just being like, okay, this is what it is right now.
2: Yeah. It is yeah. what it
1: is. <laughs> yes. It's so true. I think I think, but that's, you know, nobody talks about this, right? I mean, you don't hear people have these productive emotional conversations. It's more the opposite of the complaining or the outlet or the, you know, yes. when you're, you're talking about the different tiers or different buckets of self-care, I've gone through this with you where it's like you're 50%, your buckets are full. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, there's, there's other areas of life. It's not just having an outlet, but also the action of doing something to fill you up again or to brighten you or to pull you forward or get you out of just radically accepting everything. So I think that's where, you know, I hear you saying consistency and action (laughs) and doing the homework and journaling and moving forward and growing. Um, I'm just loving all of it because it's, it's so important. No matter who you are, or what you're dealing with, Mm -hmm. this is so relevant.
2: I like to think so. It certainly has helped a lot of clients along the way, and that's why I do what I do.
1: Well, we hope to channel more folks who could just continue to learn so much wonderful stuff from you, and we will be sure to have all of that contact
0: information. Honestly, I'm like, hmm, I think I need to follow up with your online course. (laughs) Um, no, I love, I just, I love everything that you said. And I'm sure that anybody listening would as well. And Mm -hmm. so where can people link up with you, find you if they want to?
2: I am probably the best way to just sort of see what I do is, um, my Facebook page because I'm posting there a lot, which is insight to action counseling services. Okay. And I have a website, but it's more, of a landing platform, but there is a little bit about me, there, which is juliemsweeney.com. And um, those are probably the best places to sort of search me out. And my website, you can go and you can link to my social media, I think. <laughs> Not super technical.
1: All good. We'll have it all flowing nicely in one spot once we get this up and running. Fantastic. So my final question okay. I just-
0: <laughs> is um, what is nourishing you now? Today? Oh
2: right now I think I'm taking action in my life. I I live with chronic pain and um I teach yoga three times a week and I, I do some weightlifting with a really great personal trainer who understands if my entire workout needs to be on the ground, um, mm-hmm. which is brilliant and amazing and that's fantastic. Um and I'm really taking action to be really diligent about pain management, and I think for me, um, I just turned forty this year and would like to I know would like to really sort of figure out how to um, live with less pain physically so that I can really flourish mentally, emotionally and spiritually more um, because I do all of the self-care and sometimes it just doesn't feel like enough when you're feeling physically in pain. So that's, Mm. what's really exciting for me right now is just the physio and the massage and um, the yoga and all this stuff that I'm doing to really support myself physically so that I can, the other stuff can really um, permeate into my soul.
0: Oh, (laughs) I could just listen to you all day long. I know me too.
2: Thanks guys.
0: Oh, you're fabulous.
1: (laughs) Always love talking to you, Julie. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you
0: so much, Julie. You're so welcome. Yay. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.